All right, well, let's have a word of prayer, and uh, we will get into this. I think this is relevant to our battle today. It may not seem so, but we'll all show you. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you are a God who is not worried about uh, the, the way things turn out here on earth. You are not concerned over the choices of men, but Lord, you are a sovereign God who is almighty. And we are grateful for that. We pray for your help and strength as we consider uh, these things about Christ, that you would give us wisdom through your spirit about your gracious son. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. All right. If you would, turn to Colossians chapter 1. Last week we talked about the importance of Jesus being fully man. Um, The idea that Christ cannot redeem what he isn't. Right? He has to be fully man to redeem fully uh, all, uh, all the men and women that he chose. But, he also needs to be God. Because a human is not worthy to be the sacrifice. So we need to defend the fact that Jesus is fully God. So if you look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Um... Before we get into that, does anyone know what the context of Colossians is about? Why is, why is there a book called Colossians? Why is Paul writing to these people? Does anyone know the background? I think they believe angels need to be worshipped or something. Okay, that was Hebrews, but you're very close. Yes. Um, in Colossians, uh, they, uh, the Colossian people were having a... Um, a hard time with believing that Jesus was fully God. They believed in Jesus, but they believed that Jesus wasn't quite as much God as God the Father was. They thought maybe God the Father gave him deity, or God the Father made him super-duper special with super-duper powers, but he wasn't as much God as the Father. So your first book, your, your first uh, line there is the Colossian heresy was the occasion. Jesus is not as much God as God was. And we call that a heresy. Uh, What is a... Does anyone know a really easy way to understand a heresy? As soon as you believe it, you're no longer a Christian. Yes. That's a good... That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. It's something that if you believe this particular thing, you can't really call yourself a Christian anymore. So it's kind of a line drawn in the sand, that if you step over that line, you can't say, I am a member of the Christian world. You have become something else. Now, this doesn't stop people from calling themselves that, right? But they're not. Okay. This is why it is impossible to say, the Muslims worship the same God we do, they just don't know that God has a son. That's an insane thing to say. Um, you can't deny Christ and say, I'm a Christian. Uh, one logical issue is that you're calling yourself a 
Christian. So you can't deny the Christ part of the name you call yourself, right? That'd be that. Okay, so. One of those lesbians told you she was a Christian, didn't she? Then she, she did. And she recanted later. She recanted in front of the other lesbian. She said that, because I said, she's, I said, but you said you're a Christian. And, you know, just as a Christian, you wouldn't call someone this, because that's, that's being mean to your neighbor, right? She goes, well, I'm not a Christian. I said, oh, I'm sorry. I thought when you said that you were a Christian that that's what you meant by being a Christian. She told me she had a personal, personal relationship with Jesus. <laughs> that's right. She did not. Ah, she should have clarified. I would have remembered that. Oh, I wonder what that means. <laughs> so, and that's an important thing to remember because you have to, you have to understand that a lot of the people in our world use this word loosey-goosey, Right? Uh, Barack Obama called himself a Christian. He obviously was not. Um, that was an insane thing to believe. Um, some people wanted to believe it, I guess. That's why I guess he had Christians voting for him or whatever they were. Um, but this is kind of this, this word we kind of put out there, especially down here in South Carolina. Everyone kind of feels Christian-y, right? They might have a personal relationship with Christ or whatever they think that means. And so they count themselves as one of them. But there's a lot of, you know, if you're going to be uh, really a Christian, there's a lot of things you have to take into account. One of which is Christ fully man and is Christ fully God. If uh, you don't say a yes to both of those things simultaneously, then that's not what you are. And you've got to understand those things. All right. So with that in mind, this is what Paul is getting at. If you're going to understand who Jesus is, you need to understand he is fully God. So this is what he says in verse 13. For he rescued us from uh, the domain of darkness. This is speaking... um, um, This is speaking of God the Father, right? Because then he says in that same verse, And transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. And then it says, in whom? So who's the whom? Jesus. Yes, Jesus, the Son, right? In whom? In the Son. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is, speaking of whom again? Jesus. Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him, Christ, all things are, were created, both in, heavens, in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body. The church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Now we're going to look more closely in the next few weeks about what it means that he is head of the body, the church. That's in two weeks when we start talking about what it means that Christ is the covenant. Um, next week, we're going to talk more about what it means that Christ is the image of the Father. Today, what we want to concentrate on is that he is fully God. 
So in verse 15, we're just going to talk about this a little bit more next week. Verse 15, the image that's being talk about, talked about here, the Greek word is icon. And maybe you've heard of this before, an icon like an image. Yes? Um, so this is the question that kind of goes off to the side. But you said Thomas, the one thing Thomas Aquinas said that was probably his most accurate thing was God loved us into existence. Is that correct? Yes, the, that's the only thing we can understand that creation was even done. And with this, would it be more accurate to say that the Son loved us into existence, or is that not accurate? Yeah, I think, you know, all three persons participated in the creation. And all three persons are one God. And that one God is personal. He's not a big bunch of goo that holds the other three together with their superpowers. It is one God who is one individual being who loves us in a personal way and is personal with us. And the three persons are three personal beings. Does that make sense? So the three and one really is fully one and fully three all at the same time. And God uh, created, which makes no sense to us. Since he needed nothing. So the only way we can really understand it is all three persons who participated in the creation brought about this world uh, through some kind, through love. I mean, we're not, what's confusing about that? You look confused. No, I'm, I'm confused because I was about to say, then why does it say all things were made through him and by him? <clears throat> yes, it's true. How creation works, none of us... You have to understand, we don't understand how creation works, right? I mean, there's no way to know. So through... So, okay, let me put it this way. Uh, one way that people think about God is you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So the God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are kind of like his hands. I mean, there's all kinds of different ways of thinking about it, but when, when the... When Christ did a miracle on earth, okay, that miracle was done through Christ, right? But where was the power coming from? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And who willed the Son to do that? The Father. So everyone's participating in a, in a miracle. Um, and there's some way that this happened as well in creation, but it's not as clear to us because we have no idea what it means for something to come from nothing. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
And the baptism really was through the son because he's the one that did it, although there's other participation going on, right? And I think that's even uh, interesting because we keep seeing that creation is for Christ. And so this love, uh, this love that's behind creation might have something to do with us, but it might even have more to do with the love for Christ um, within the Trinity. So, good question. <laughs> so this, uh, this image bearing is uh, part of that exact reflection of the Father. This is different than our image bearing. We mimic Right, and when we when we're image bearers of God, we are mimicking. That's very different than being a reflection. Um, a reflection is something exact, so exact that there has to be some kind of there's a there's a difference, but the exactness seems to come from the fact that they're both equally God, not equally God's. So there is an exact image of the Father. So, uh, and this is something Christ brings up in his life. If you know, if you believe in, if you believe in the Father, you have to believe in me because I'm the exact image of the Father. So there's something going on that's different than the image bearing we do, which is more mimicking the way a child mimics a a, a dad. Um, he is the heir of all creation. If you look at verse 15. He's not only the image of God, he's the firstborn of all creation. That firstborn doesn't mean he was created first. Um, that would be very odd for someone who is trying to convince a group of people that Christ is, or Jesus is, fully God. What is he getting at there? He's getting at something even more important. He's saying he's the firstborn. What does this mean to people in Colossae? When someone says he's the firstborn of creation. What would that mean to someone in this context? What does the firstborn get? Rights and privileges. Rights and privileges, that's right. He's making a statement of the ownership of creation. All this creation, all this was made to be inherited by Christ. It is his. He owns it. Verse 16, not only is, the, is he the owner of it, but he is the actor in the creation. He is the one through whom creation occurred. Okay, doesn't mean he is um, solely responsible, but he is the hand, if I can put it that way, that acted. Whether the power came from the Holy Spirit or the will of the Father or whatever all those other things mean, Christ was the actor in creation. Okay? Verse 16, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth. And this is what's interesting. Visible and invisible. That there are properties of creation that are invisible, which had to be created to have creation exist. Okay? Which I think... Uh, means a lot of other things I have no idea about, but one of the things have to mean space. Not space as in the final frontier. I just mean between me and you, there's space, right? 
So what was here before there was room? There was nothing but God. Can you imagine that? I can't. But part of creation was creating that space, that expanse, so that there can be distance between objects, things like that. So we have uh, in our uh, blanks there, uh, image means the exact reflection, not just mimicry like it means for us. It's a different kind of imaging. I think it's even a different word that's used in the Greek. He is the heir of all creation. Jesus is the creator of all creation. If you look at verse 17, we see that Jesus is a pre-existing being. Paul is making the the argument that not only did he make everything, he pre-existed before all creation, which would put him right with John 1, right? In the beginning, right? How's, How's it? in John was the word and the word was what was with God thank you yes just quoting it is good enough (laughs) right so what does that mean Paul is reminding them in 17 he is before all things and in him all things hold together so what is holding the molecules the uh, atoms Right? My son is taking chemistry this year in college. I am working on a chemistry textbook. So I am learning all these interesting things about what composes this entire universe. Right? The whole universe is a bunch of chemicals that hold together. And we talk about bonds, chemical bonds. But when you come right down to it, no scientist knows why or what it is that's holding them together. They just know it does happen. You get down to an atom. They know that there is this nucleus. Why does a nucleus hold together? No one knows. They just know it happens. So that's science. We know this happens. Therefore, it's happening. That's all they get. But we know that the fingers of God is holding them together. He is a sustainer. So we have Jesus is the pre-existing one and the sustainer. And in verse 20, in Jesus all the fullness of the Godhead dwells. And this is repeated in chapter 2 as well. But through him, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things in heaven, uh, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Um, So where was the... I'm just... 19, sorry, I put the wrong number there. For it was the Father's good pleasure... For all the fullness to dwell in him. Speaking of Jesus. And this pleasure is not talking about uh, it was the Father's pleasure to have the fullness dwell in the Son, right? The Son already was, all the the Godhead was already in the Son. But in in Jesus, who took on when Christ took on flesh. It was part of that pleasure of the Father to say, yes, in Jesus, when, when the Son takes on flesh, the full Godhead is infleshed. That is interesting, right? Um, this is where things get really, really 
this is where the bottom drops out of, of our mind. When I, uh, when I talk about it to students, I often say there's an edge to our thinking that the Bible always takes us to. Um, if you don't recognize that you're at the edge, you slip into heresy. If you don't try to get to the edge, then you're being a lazy Christian. You'll start believing really bizarre things, right? Um, it's like when you talk to Arminians. They'll say things like, well, I just don't know how this all works, how God can be sovereign, and we get to choose him or not choose him. I just don't know how all that works. Well, they haven't gone to the edge yet, right? They're happy to be farther back from the edge. But you've got to get at least to the edge to realize that you get there and you realize there's this big chasm of wisdom that we can't get to. And this is where it comes when it says the full Godhead is there in Christ, right? Who is enfleshed. How do you understand that? I mean, there's a sense in which only the Son is enfleshed, right? But you also can't separate him from the Spirit or the Father because he is one God. I got nothing. It's just, it's hard. Okay, but the fullness is there. Um, all right, so moving with extreme prejudice. Here we go. Um, how is Jesus fully human and fully God at the same time? Because Colossians 2.9 reminds us of this. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. You have to remember, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are not gods. Their oneness comes in their deity. It's... So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are distinct persons who are one God. And we use the word substance, right? They are one substance. But that gets confusing because that substance is not some kind of dead goo. It is one God who is a personal being. <laughs> All right. It's good if, if you feel that tension... And you're like, okay, this, I see the great difficulty of the, of the Trinity. And you feel that tension inside you of this isn't, I'm not sure how this all goes together. Good. Right? Because if you feel no tension and you think you have, you know, God's a triangle type idea, then you don't have it right. That makes sense. God has three persons. Does that mean he has three separate personalities? Yeah, there's distinct persons. That's why the Father tends to be more wrathful and the Son more merciful? Or nope. No? No, they are agreed in that because they, they are of one mind in that. Um, no, the, in fact, the Father is the one who, is the mo who has shown the most mercy to us. Because why did the Son come? Was it because the Son saw us in this pitiful state, and the son asked the father, hey, can I go help them? Who sent the son? Father. father. And so what are the differences in their personality? Um, I see what you're asking. I think what you're asking is something that we kind of use as humans to understand the personality of a person that's different than another personality of a person. You know what I'm saying? I'm, thinking, I'm asking a human question. Yeah, and I think... If the 
if we get too close to that, it becomes, we start making God too, too much like us and try to understand him through us. And if we try to understand him through us, it becomes a huge problem. Uh, lots of people have done it. And, and that's that tension you're feeling. You're feeling that tension, which is good. It's absolutely good. All right. Moving right along very, 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 very quickly. Um, so when we talk about Christ being able to hold full Godhead and fully human at the same time, we probably won't get through all this, but so let me just slow down a minute and just let us grasp that. Maybe it's better to go a little deeper and not cover as much. Uh, let me ask you this. Um, how have you heard this being talked about? When someone says God's fully man and fully God, how do, how do people do that? I've heard like ice, you know, it can be steam and water. And okay. Yeah, so that becomes a problem, right? Because ice still is water. Um, and so we're not saying the Godhead is just another form of humanity, or humanity is just another form of Godhead. So that becomes a problem, right? So we, what, we, what we have here is something um, that Christians have dealt with a long time ago. You might see on your paper there, back in 451 A.D., um, they struggled with this. Christ had to be actually human, not just a form of humanity that's not really us. Because he had to redeem us. He has to redeem who he really is. So he really had, he didn't just put on humanity like a suit coat that's not really him. He really had to be human. But if he lost his deity, then his sacrifice has no meaning because a human can't take on that, that kind of responsibility. So how do we do it? What we found, find through scripture is that a nature is the core substance that makes you who you are. So when someone talks about your nature, we're talking about the thing that makes you you. What we find in Christ is that he has two natures. And what we came up with in the what's called Chalcedonian Creed, it's just uh, that's where they met. Okay, there's nothing special about that name. Just, they met at that place. So they call it the Chalcedonian Creed. Okay. And meeting there, through Scripture, they found that, okay, well, Christ, uh, Jesus had to have a full nature of humanity to redeem humanity. And he had to have a full nature of the, of the deity to be God. So he has two natures. And one thing we have to be careful of is that we don't confuse them together. What if we confuse the natures together? What do we get? Do we get humanity anymore? No. No. We get what's called a third thing. Um, and God didn't redeem uh, half, half deity, half human people. He redeemed fully human people, right? So he had to be fully human. So we, we couldn't confuse the natures. They can't change. They can't be uh, divided up into pieces. Um, and they can't be separate. They can't be separate in that uh, God was two people, or Jesus was two people. Like you have the human Jesus, and then there is a deity Jesus up in heaven. 
Um, that was one heresy that came about. Someone tried, uh, another heresy was that, well, God the Father looked on Jesus and said, you're such a good person, I'm going to give you some of my deity. Like deity is like a bowl of soup. And he poured him a little bit. Like, there you go, you can have some of my soup, my deity soup. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm talking about it lightly because I want you to understand that these heresies are foolish, right? These heresies come from not just bad theology, but bad thinking. That deity is some kind of superpower, right? I mean, that's kind of how, we, how a lot of people look at God. They look at him as a superman that's mostly like us, but with superpowers. And it's nothing like that, right? Uh, what it is, is you have a God who is one being and three individual persons at the same time and one God. And if that doesn't make sense to you, that's okay. Because if it starts, if you, if you get, the, and like I keep saying, if you get the triangle mentality where you're like, oh, that makes sense because it's like a triangle. It's not like a triangle. The Trinity is not like a triangle. It is hard to understand to the point where you're almost comfortable with the non-understanding. You understand what I'm saying? All right. So it's without confusion, and that's what your little blanks go there. Without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. He is not two persons, and he is not a mixture of natures. He's not a mixture of natures. They are distinct, but they can never be separated. They are distinct, but they can never be separated. Because the minute you separate them, our redemption is gone. Could you repeat Okay, let me go over that one more time. So, in the, in the Chalcedonian Creed, this is what we came up with. Without confusion, without change. So the confusion idea is this, um, without mixing them together. Without change, they don't they're not going to change into something else. They're going to stay distinct and the same thing. Without division. So you can't have little pieces of humanity here, but then divinity. They are two distinct things, but they are never separated. Without separation. Without separation. And so you do not have two persons. Jesus is not two people. He is one person. Two natures. And they are not mixed, because then you get a third thing. Um, one of the problems we had was when uh, Luther um, attempted to mix them just a little bit. He had the idea of iron being heated, and the heat and the iron are so uh, together that you kind of have this one thing a mixture of the heat and iron. But in defense of Luther, he was still trying to keep them distinct because heat is not iron, and iron is not heat. So I don't want... Um, there's a misunderstanding about the Lutherans that they are saying that there's a mixture of natures. I don't think they're really saying that when you get deep into their theology. But it's enough mixture where there seems to be confusion. I think that's what the Chalcedonian Creed is trying to get away from. They need to be distinct. Because if there is any confusion at all, we get dangerously close to Jesus being a third thing, which means his redemption could only be for whatever that other thing was. 
Am I making sense? He had to be fully human and fully God at the same time without any mixture of those things together. Right. And he can't. Well, not, I don't want to say, okay. He will never take off his humanity. Because he's still in the flesh. He is. Forever. Forever. He's coming back in the flesh. Absolutely. That's right. When I learned that, it made me see him. Yeah. So think about that. The father who loves us enough to send his son, the son to love us enough to remain in flesh for eternity. I mean, that is humbling because... Without Christ, we're not worth the redemption. Christ makes us worth it through himself. That should humble us all. And even when we're at the abortuary and there are people who hate you screaming in your face uh, with the pro-choice movement, you have to remember, you'd be screaming too. If it wasn't for Christ's work in your heart, you would be right there with their confused minds um, if it wasn't for the grace of Christ. Um, we have much to be thankful for. And it is sad to see those that are not regenerate. It's just sad. And it's humbling because that's us. We would be just as... It, as um, Anxious to get in the face of those Christians as they are. So, um, next week, we will finish this out, and I'll have a shorter one. Maybe I'll, I'll mix them. We'll see what happens. But, uh, good. We had some good questions. And if, uh, if you have more questions, come see me. Let's have a quick word of prayer, and we'll go to worship. Dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you for who you are. And you are our God, who is a gracious God to us. That the Father loved us to send the Son. The Son loved us to give himself. And the Spirit loved us to humble our hearts so that we might be redeemed. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your goodness to us. And we do pray for your continued help as we go into worship today. That our hearts will be bowed before your word. We ask these things in your Son's name. Amen.